Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and this is an absolutely fantastic conversation with a good mate of mine, Josh Amberger. Josh tells some of his incredible highs in his career. He uh, he then shares some stories that he's never shared before on some of the lows that he's had and, and, and how he dealt with those. And then we also discuss his uh, relationship with his wife, Ashley Gentle, who is the current world number one in the world of triathlon and how they're able to manage uh, each other's careers. Um, some really fun uh, conversations around their relationship. I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it. I really had a good time in this conversation. This episode was a fraction longer than most because it is just such a, a, a fun and interesting chat. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. You're on a mission. Now, whether that's tackling an Ironman, getting ready for triathlon or a marathon, you've got a busy life, chasing your dreams, you've got goals. But here's the deal. Are you fueling that mission with the good stuff or are you settling for some kind of junk? Now, fast food is here for you. Think of it as the Tesla of sports fuel. We're all about 100% real food crafted by performance chefs, scientists, and athletes. No weird experiments, just pure energy. Now, let me introduce you to the lineup. There's the Galacto Gel, Galacto Gummy, and the Hydrator. These aren't just your average fuels. These are backed by our secret weapon, the Optimal Energy Release System with glucose for that lightning quick power, galactose for that more sustained energy, and the fructose, which helps with the hydration. And guess what? Fast food is the brainchild of Adam Malonis, who was on episode 174 of the podcast. So go check it out. He's an Ironman triathlete and he's a culinary genius. He knows how to fuel a mission. So it's decision time. Are you ready to level up your fueling game? Fast food is your ticket to the next level. Your mission is our mission. Head over to fastfood.com and get ready to fly. That's fastfood.com. All right, today's guest is an iconic figure in the world of triathlon, having been a professional for over a decade. But honestly, I feel like I've known him for, man, probably more like two or three decades. He's been around for what seems like an eternity for me, but here he is. I finally got him on the show. Um, his incredible accolades, including the 2017 Ironman Asia Pacific Championships, which he won in front of a star-studded field. Um, that really was a highlight for him. Add to that, he's 11-time Ironman 70.3 champion. He's also known for being the fastest swimmer in the world of triathlon for well over the past 10 years. And let's not forget, he claims to have the best haircut in the sport. But beyond his athletic prowess, he's a character, a fan of death metal, films about war, and known for his sense of humour. He's a good mate, and we've battled on the race course many times. I think I was on my way out when he was on his way in, um, and I think he got me quite a few times. But anyway, we can talk about that in the show. His wife, Ashley Gentle, current world number one rank on the uh, PTO ranking, she was on the show about two years ago. And since I have had her on the show, I think I've been asking this guy since to come on. And I finally got him here. It took some doing, but here he is. So welcome, and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, Josh Amberger. How are you, mate? Hey, Greg. Yeah, mate, I'm really good, thanks. I was super <laughs> impressed by that intro. I just <laughs> thought you'd talk forever, to be honest. <laughs> oh. yeah, I bet you had to do some research to dig up those results, though. Oh, not um, at all, mate. I, I, I follow your career like you wouldn't believe. No, it, was, it, it is. It's... um. <laughs> 
it actually takes me back. I can't remember, you know, when, when we were racing, you were still kind of, you were playing around with some of the half distances, but you were still kind of doing some of the more Olympic distance stuff and um, you'd transitioned from the ITU stuff and slowly you were getting into the long stuff. And I'll never forget when you won that, you know, the big Asia Pacific champs. And it was a star-studded field, mate. I, I, that's why I do remember that one. And I think that was really cool. Does that still bring back fond memories for you? Uh, yeah, 100%. Um, it's actually the only Ironman that I've won so far and just kind of preparing myself for this podcast talking about highs and lows in my career mm. um, is definitely definitely up there in one of the highs. Um, I'd actually only started racing Ironman um, that year. I dabbled the year prior. Mm. I, I don't know if I, if I want to <laughs> segue into this story just yet, but, mm. yeah, definitely – um, yeah, that Cairns win was definitely a high and sort of, you know, I've really built my career in different phases from, you know, sh- you know, draft legal to non-drafting Olympic distance, 70.3, and then um, into Ironman. And now I kind of do like a combination of all mm. sort of non-drafting distances. But yeah, that, that Cairns win definitely told me I had a, oh. a future ahead of me in Ironman. And that's, yeah, where I've sort of landed my passion and, um, in my training and racing the last few years. So um, mm. I'm definitely looking for that next win. Um, <laughs> well, still. we so, can talk about, we can talk about a, a certain race you did last year where you got second in a moment, but I just want to quickly, before we move on from this, uh, just for listeners, you know, that, that race that you won, you won in an 802, but the people right behind you and, you know, Joe Gambles, Braden Curry, uh, Tim Van Burkle, you, you and him seem to have tussled it out for the past five, 10 years. Every result I looked, you know, Burke's name is next to yours. Um, David Dello, Cam Worth was in there. Cam Brown was in there. It was just a, it was a really incredible performance Braden for you. Crowey was there too. There we go. You're taking out all the big ones. Braden Curry. Braden Curry. Yeah, Braden Curry. I think I said Braden Curry, didn't I? Or did I skip over him, did I? Yeah. It, it really was uh, an amazing one. Where, where are you at the moment? You've gotten up early for me, haven't you? Yeah, so just at home in, in Brisbane, Australia. So mm. it's kind of this, um, you know, normally it would be in Kona this time of year. So it's definitely a bit weird being home in September mm. back in Brisbane, but we're actually getting ready for another trip overseas. We've got 70.3 Lane Kawi next week in Malaysia. That's the Asia Pac Champ. So mm. I'm doing that with mm. Ash as well, but then I'm heading off to Europe um, oh. for one Ironman and then a, a sponsored commitment. So oh, still some travel left in the year um, and, yeah, a little bit of racing too. Yeah, by the way, I um, you mentioned Ash. Um, I don't think I've spoken to you um, to say congrats on finally tying the knot. I think I was, I think our trips in Beijing and other events, I'm like, hey, mate, what are you doing here? When are you going to tie the knot with this one? And, uh, you know, congrats. when did you guys actually get married? When was that? Well, to be honest, mate, I probably didn't have enough people um, telling me to get a wriggle on with that proposal because <laughs> I think she'd been thinking about it for quite some time before I really did so the the funny story around it is actually I asked for um her dad's blessing um when when we moved into a house we built a house in 2018 and he was helping me with a bit of landscaping when we moved in and I thought it just sounded like a a nice time to to ask for his blessing Uh, but I actually didn't have any immediate 
plans to propose still. Um, and it took a couple of years of limbo for him to, to call me up and say, Josh, mate, like, I'm a bit worried what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, I went out and bought a ring that day. Well, I ordered a ring that day and, and got my ass into gear with that. So, oh, yeah, we got married this time last year. So it was actually an amazing finish to the year coming home um, from five months on the road, hitting Kona, then coming home and mm. kind of like cruising into to wedding mode and, and bucks mode and, and getting that done and honeymoon and yeah and then kind of by the time we had the honeymoon we'd already been um like doing nothing for four or five weeks on our break so it was it was time to get back into pre-season by then so i think the the, the when we hit the off season this year it's going to be like properly the first time we wind down for for quite a long time so yeah well it didn't it certainly didn't hurt Ash, her year has been <laughs> outstanding. Like I said at the top of the show, she's, you know, world number one. She's been crushing the PTO events. Um, and, you know, when I had her on the show two years ago, she was actually in that in-between going, do I, do I go for another Olympics? And I think she had a whole bunch of us saying, no, 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 <laughs> you'll, you'll do really well if you, if you move up and go longer. And um, she really has. It's been, it's been phenomenal to see. I think you two... Are such a tight unit you're such a great team you obviously bring the best out of each other um you know how, how is that married life is it any different for you or does it feel much the same oh mate it's yeah it's not different at all to, to be honest. <laughs> it's only um, kids that really make it different <laughs> yeah and, and that that's the whole thing you mentioned with her like you know we've all got in our minds where we think her strengths um could lie in 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 her future you know she's kind of straddling the the do I go for another Olympic? She was so focused on the Olympics for so long and they didn't reward the, the two Olympics she went to were they didn't reward her in any way. And in mm. fact, she came home just broken from both of them. So um, that's kind of been a, not my struggle, but you know, I, I've, I've experienced the sport on, on every level. Um, in you know, in terms of racing, for you know, since I was much younger, and Ash being locked into like draft legal from in all her twenties and into her early thirties, I was kind of like, just come and experience this side of the sport for a while and and see how you go because, you know, her her passion for the sport kind of like waxed and waned through those Olympics years with mm. you know, the success and failure of it, and she, at various times she mentioned to me she was like close to to pulling up stumps and just throwing in the towel um, when at, at points when I had no idea she didn't, you know, that she felt like the sport about that. But, yeah, she was just so burnt out. And the key was just to not press her too hard. And um, I, I she told me the other day, actually, it only makes sense. Um, both her and my dad are Pisces and they can't be told what to do. They'll ask for advice but they can't be told. Mm. And you just kind of got to let them make their own mind up, and that's definitely Ash. Is she's had to find this point by herself, and we can like kind of guide her in certain ways. But now that she's actually committed to to something other than the Olympic cycle, you know, she's mm. she's flourishing in the sport and actually loving it again. So it's mm. just just amazing to see. And what's well, um, been so yeah, exciting supporting her through this time as well seriously i mean i know what it's like you know obviously laura and i were a team a bit like you and ash and i know what it's like for you to sort of play the 
the have your own career but also be playing a support role um and it does take a team you know and it's it's like you said you you tread carefully um you know give a little subtle advice but maybe don't over give too much i think laura and ash are very similar like that it's like okay i know i know this is time for me to step back and maybe you know not give too much more here um but mate, you know your own career. Sometimes that- I don't know the line there. That's, that's <laughs> my problem. But- <laughs> I know, I know. Well, and often it's harder when you're tired as well, right? I mean, when you when you're training hard, you're training, you know, that twenty to thirty hour type weeks, and you're exhausted. And sometimes you can see something, and so you say it, and then you're like, ah, probably the wrong time. Oh, but yeah. here we go. <laughs> you get in trouble a bit. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, we were actually, we were actually at the at the velodrome yesterday doing aero testing. It was Ash's first time ever doing aero testing, and um, she was a little bit nervous about riding around the track. Mm. Um, you know, the heavy banks, particularly in aero position. She's ridden the track before, but not mm. in aero aero position. And she was, we were there getting set up, and she's like firing off all these just these subtle remarks at me, like. You know, Josh, focus. I'm like, I am. I'm actually 100% focused. Like, what's what's going on? And it, yeah, she was just kind of nervous about the situation and taking it out on me for no reason. But you know, me and the, me and the guys there, we just kind of they picked up on it. And I don't. When she went for her first aero run, we kind of had a laugh about it. Um, <laughs> I know. It's it's you. But yeah, she she's uh she's yeah she's got a fire in the eye and um yeah. Yeah. Amazing girl. And, and, and but sometimes, yeah, the, the management side is is another thing. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys have a – who's coaching you guys? you coach yourselves or do you guys have coaches? Um, so, yeah, our coach is David Tilbury Davis, mm. so um, British expat living in Finland. So okay. It's my my first year with him, but Ash has just finished up her, her second season with David. Okay, so you both have the same coach. That's kind of, I mean, that's kind of good to have a coach. I, you know, sometimes rather than you writing her program and vice versa, I think it's probably nice to have that. Oh, yeah, that wouldn't happen, mate. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't write her program. She, well, I have, we have done it in the past. So, one of these times where she's kind of been on the brink um, in an Olympic cycle was in 20, uh, 2019. Mm. And she was coached by Jamie Turner, who, mm-hmm. Um, actually he, you know, he had some indiscretions with the Federation and, and got fired and she came home kind of like, yeah, didn't really know where to go. Um, was trying to qualify for the Olympics performances had stalled a bit and, um, now she was coachless through no fault of her own. And so she turned to me like, I need to get fit and can you help me? And I don't, I don't really think we lasted much past 10 days. <laughs> she claimed that I was trying to prepare her for an Ironman or something like that. So um, You knew very well. Yeah, she's definitely wearing the pants with her training. Yeah. Like I said before, she, she'll ask for advice, but yeah, final decisions, they're always up to her. So yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm fine with that. Well, mate, let, let's talk about you a little bit here. Um, firstly, this past year, um, I'd say it's consistent. Um, how would you describe this past year if we look, you know, with your fifth at World uh, Long Course Championships, your, your fourth at Ironman Lake Placid, um, uh, 
And then I, I was interested to see third at Hell of the West, Gundawindi. It's a famous one in Australia for all listeners out the middle of nowhere. Um, but mate, how, how would you how would you describe twenty twenty three? So yeah, it's it's been a reasonable year. Like I hope to, I hope to maybe have some titles at this point, particularly at sort of the Ironman level. But to be honest, like the sport is just going to such crazy, crazy levels now. Mm. Like every race is just so much faster than the last one. Um, and it's, you know, mentioning the, the fifth place in the ITU long distance worlds in Ibiza, you know, guys like Rico Bogan were in that race. That that field was actually packed. Mm. Um, and he's someone, he, he passed me early on the bike and I'm like, and I got dropped from him straight away. Um, I'm like, who who the hell are all these guys? Like there was like five guys all wearing their, um, you know, National Federation kits and I had no idea who they were. Normally you can pick a guy from like, you know, their sponsors or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, you, you used to be able to get really familiar with, with the athletes you raced and now there's just half a dozen guys in every field you go to, you've got no idea who they are and they're absolutely like have you on the limit and in that race um yeah Rico Bogan led the led the bike dropped us all um fell fell back on the run um which I was pretty pleased about like my future in the sport was kind of in the balance during that race I'm like if if half a dozen guys I don't know beat me then yeah I think like maybe I'll just be ashes ashes masseuse on the circuit for a Mm -hmm. while but Mm um yeah it's just like yeah, it's it's the sports just going to another level. So my 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 job this season has just been trying to obviously like focus in on my strengths, but in trying to improve my weaknesses and and really sort of just find my place again in in the kind of new generation and and the new the new way of racing. It's mm. like my weapon and it used to be swimming, still is, and biking as well. But the my my bike ability has just kind of been neutralized. I'm not swimming and biking off the front anymore. There's packs around me. Mm. Um and then the run is always been my weakness. So I'm just yeah, trying to trying to still improve that and <laughs> see where I land in in those fields. But I've thrown my hat into some super competitive races. Like I got late starts for PTO Milwaukee and, and mm-hmm. PTO Singapore and featured, you know, pretty well in those races considering my limited prep. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been preparing for Lake Placid and um, I mean Lake Placid and then all of a sudden was on the start line for Milwaukee 10 days later. So <laughs> it was a massive juggle to try and perform well at the Ironman and the middle distance races. But I think I managed it pretty well and, um, given a little bit more prep time for next year for those sort of contrasting distances, I think I can do even better. So mm. I'm happy with where things are at this season, but yeah, not satisfied. So I kind of want more. Yeah, it's funny you mention all these new names, you know, as, as somebody who likes a conversation each week, um, you know, probably at least half of the episodes are with, you know, world renowned triathletes like yourself. And and there's so many new names and I feel like I'm becoming a dinosaur going, who are all these new people? And, you know, I had Rico Bergen on the on the podcast a few weeks ago, um, you know, 22-year-old that just came out smashing it, winning the 70.3 World Champs. And you look at all those names of these these guys and 
it used to be, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you could kind of pick the dozen or so names that were, were likely contenders. And now there's a mm. bunch of Europeans that I'm never heard of. Um, some of them I don't even know where the country flags are from. I'm like, what? Who's, where's this from? You know, it's like it's really quite incredible how, and to your point, that there's strengths across the board, swimming, biking and running. It's like, wow, these guys are coming out with weapons across the board at a young age. It's, it's really quite out. I mean, look at what Sam Laidlow did at um, <laughs> Ironman World Champs in Nice. You know, he's 24 and just crushed to swim, bike and run. It really is amazing. We we got this new sport of incredible athletes. What did you think about Nice? Yeah, so Nice is actually the first Ironman World Champs I'd kind of watched from start to finish because I've been in the last four or five of, of course. Them. Yeah, um, yeah, so, yeah. And, you know, when, when I wasn't racing Kona, I never used to get up at 2 a.m. here in Australia to watch it. So, <laughs> and then, like... I always kind of lose interest in in race recordings once I know the results. I kind of mm-hmm. can never be bothered going back and watching the races again. So yeah, it's super interesting to to kind of watch. Yeah, my first world champs from start to finish. And the the reason I wasn't there racing myself is Ashley's brother in law got. Oh, sorry, my brother in law Ashley's brother got married that day. So oh, you had qualified um, and you didn't go. That was the choice. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So ah. yeah, I just chose to to do the wedding. Like I've missed Good so man. many yeah yeah life yeah. events. Yeah, yeah. Racing on the circuit. I'm 34 now, and yeah, I I wanted to make the wedding. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was just looking at you know you can't you can't talk about that race without saying something about Laidlow. Like he's just his efficiency on the bike is just absolutely like mind melting. You know, he's like, just like a statue riding up these climbs and, you know, it's just crazy how he's moving so well. And then, you know, he's got the run legs to finish it off. Normally in the past, I'm, you know, talking about myself as like a swim biker before, you know, and the run's always been a weakness. You know, if you're not a runner, you, you don't, you know, you just look like shit out there and you're just stuffy. You know, I'm thinking back to sort of like the, you know, the Norman Stardley years and the, the Chris Lieta years, like the good bikers, they couldn't run. Mm. Um, but now they're, now they're running low 240s and the runners are running low 230s. So Do you think that's shoes or, or what is it? Do you think, I mean, is it just better athletes I mean, or everything. is it? Yeah. It's, you know, everything's better. Technology, training. I mean, kids, I'm at this interesting stage where I've, I'm like quite active on Strava in my local area and I'm like looking at what the kids are doing. Um, you know, the 13, 14, 15 year old kids up to, I don't know, 18, 19. And I'm actually kind of, cause they're all taking my comms, you know, <laughs> so I'm kind of looking at what these, what the kids are doing every day and they have access to, to so much stuff that we mm. didn't have when we were growing up, you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't even watch live broadcasts when when I was a kid because it just didn't exist. You know, if you weren't in Kona on the ground um, as an Australian, you had no idea um, where the level of the sport is and mm-hmm. who won the race or anything like that. You know, like Twitter or no social media existed when we were younger and now kids just have everything at their fingertips and they know where the level is. So... And it's, it's happening across all the sports. You know, I watch a lot of cycling as well and 
you know, the grand tour winners are, well, not all of them, but, you know, they're all, all coming through and in that, you know, the Pogachars and the Vinigos and, mm. you know, they're all young 20s. So It's amazing. It's not exclusive to triathlon, but definitely is a shift in, you know, the in this 21st century where the young guys and girls have access to so much stuff and it's really... I don't know, they're, they're just so hungry to get to that next level and they're doing it. So it's just crazy impressive. It's incredible. Some of the records that are being broken, you know, the women's marathon world record that just got broken, you know, 211. Mm. I was like, <laughs> I remember when Paula Radcliffe ran a 215, probably about 10, 10 years, more than 10 years ago now. And I remember thinking, oh my God, that's the greatest performance of any male or female. It just blew me away. And then to just see that come yeah. down and just... I mean, and like you said, the cyclists, it's like the records just keep going. Um, and, and I think we're still seeing that in, in triathlon, like you said. Hey, I want to talk about um, last year because last year you had an exceptional year, um, you know, with, with the second at Ironman Australia and then also the second at Ironman Tromblon. Tell me about that second and how that feels um, as we talk about who was the person in front of you. Yeah, so I actually had this written down, like I mentioned, highs and lows of the sport. <coughs> mm. And I want to talk first about um, the high okay. in Ironman Cairns. Yeah. And for me, that, that high wasn't necessarily the race itself. It wasn't necessarily the result. It was more about like nailing the first Ironman. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you do it a couple times and you fail. Um. Some people might be more than two times, and but then when you get it right, it's just the most amazing feeling. Um, and that was definitely that race in Cairns. I actually attempted my first Ironman in 2016. I think I was 26 at the time. It was in Port Macquarie, mm-hmm. and <laughs> the story around this probably not many people know this, but. I actually was disqualified in my first Ironman. I, I had a draft panel. So I was, Clayton Fattel was off the front of the bike and I was riding very conservatively with like Tim Reed and Dave Dello the whole the whole day. And I got a draft penalty like the last 15K of the bike just before I was about to go up the pinch at Matthew Flinders. And like any, you know, drafting penalty, it was, of course, it was a bullshit penalty. And I don't think I deserved it, but... Yeah, that's the way it went and we're in the penalty tent and I actually, um, the penalty tent was just open air and it was absolutely bucketing down with rain at the time. But I thought it was a good opportunity to relieve myself. (laughs) I I thought I could go incognito but I think the smell of it made everyone aware around me what I was doing and I actually got Delta Red card. Oh, Um, no. I got yeah, I got through half, halfway through the marathon, and I was in third place at that point. I got my way back up to third before the the head referee decided that that wasn't good enough, and he was going to disqualify me on the spot. So he took my timing chip, and I couldn't continue. And now, of course, we've seen the rules change um, around disqualifications. You can keep going all the way; you're allowed to finish and then protest. But I was removed from the course, but. Mm. Um, so it's a story around my first Ironman. My second Ironman was Ironman South Africa the mm. next year in 2017. 
And I was kind of fluffing around with, I did the first ever Super League in Hamilton Island two weeks before. Oh, and I, I thought I could go from <laughs> Super League to Ironman South Africa. Um, and, you know, at that point I didn't realise Ironman was that serious, you know. Ironman racing in Australia, like that Port Macquarie race was pretty slow. But when I got to South Africa, I just absolutely got my ass handed to me. Like Ben Hoffman won that year. Yeah, um, and the field was good and it was just, I was just like, man, this this Ironman racing, it's like 70.3 racing but for eight hours. Yeah. It was just that intense. And I had basically, I wanted to do Ironman that year and I'd already got my ass handed to me. I'd done two and failed. And it was eight weeks until Cairns and I thought, you know what, I want to do this and I think I can do this. And I, in that eight weeks I'd, fully committed and went all in and turned myself around. I was nailing the sessions. I was loving it and turned up to that race day in Cairns and everything just fell into place on that day. Um, I actually ended up riding with Cam Worth when he came through on the bike and that I'd be honest in saying that Cam Worth set up my, set up my race that day um, mm. because mm. I had the opportunity to ride with him. And actually to this day, maybe remain the only guy who's dropped him on the bike. So at 150K, he started going through a, a low patch and I, I, yeah, dispatched him, went to the front. And um, I don't think I ran super quick that day. It was a low 250 and guys like Joe Gambles ran low 240s. But mm-hmm. I had 13 minutes lead off the bike, which... These days you just don't get that kind of lead anymore and that's where racing's definitely mm, changed. Mm, um, mm. And that's why searching for that that next Ironman win has become so difficult for me because that that win in Cairns was just a – it's a bygone era now um, where guys still weren't riding that hard. Um, but for me that, that win in Cairns was, yeah, like a, just a, a, you know, physical triumph but also just like a mental triumph, like, hey, this is what I can do when I fully commit to something. Um, and then that, that leads me to, to, you know, the original question, um, second mm-hmm. place and I met Montremblant last year. So I've been searching for that, that next Ironman win since, since then in 217. And I'd come close a few times, some seconds, um, some thirds had like a top five in the Euro champs in Frankfurt, um, mm-hmm. spent a lot of time at the front of the race in Kona before blowing up. Um, but still never won that next Ironman. And, yeah, I raced Ironman Montremblant last year um, and got second to Colin Chartier, who, uh, who yeah, as we know, went on to to get busted for EPO earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely when that news came out, that was that hit me super hard. And I haven't spoken publicly about this. I've had a lot of requests to do so, but. Knowing what I went through on that day in Montremblant, getting ready for that race and really, you know, that, that race in Montremblant, that second place, that kind of, um, it represents like a reinvention for me in the modern day of triathlon. I'd kind of had really average results through COVID. I'd really struggled for motivation through COVID, got to, you know, started traveling again early last year, got to Europe, got my ass handed to me every single race, just absolutely got hammered. And 
there was a point last year where I was like, okay, I have to rebuild myself from the bottom up to be competitive in the sport again. Mm. And, um, yeah, that's what I did getting ready for that race. And I bought my absolute best to that race on the day. And you know what? I performed really well. So it's going to be happy no matter what the result was, if it, if I won or second or third or fourth or whatever. I'm the kind of guy where if I know I'm performing to my ability, then I'm satisfied. And that day I put together an amazing race and got second. And um, off the front all day, did it all by myself. And, yeah, when Colin... <laughs> When Colin Chartier passed me on the run, it was about 25K in. Mm-hmm. Um, he just he caught me at a rate I didn't, I just didn't see it coming. I didn't even know who he was. Um, and this guy passed me like it was a 5K, literally like he was running 5K out the gate. And I was like, when he passed me, I'm like, mate, there's, you don't even have to pass me that quick. There is like no chance I'm going to stick to you at all. <laughs> um, and you know what? He actually didn't even, he beat me by five minutes, but on that day he could have beat me by 15 or 20. He looked yeah, so amazing. And he was just holding back that whole day. Three weeks later he went on to win the US Open in Dallas. Yeah. Um, and I was there that day as well. So I had to manage the turnaround um, from that Ironman to that short distance race. And, yeah, I mean, it's physically what he did is out of this world and we know now yeah. why. I mean, but for me that I just felt I, I was happy after the race and I didn't finish the race speculating, oh, that was no, you can't. this you guy. Can't. Yeah, yeah, you can't. Because that's that's what that's what racing is now. You get beaten by guys you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I also use that as an opportunity like, hey, that was a great race for me. I got second. I still need to be better. You know, I still, I still ran, you know, I didn't run in the 240s that day and now you can't really win an Ironman without running 240s. So for me to rationalise that second place was very easy, you know, how I need to get better. But like I said, that represented a, a rebuilding for me in my career and I showed myself that I could do it. And from that point I recommitted to, you know, going through, you know, I committed to the next two or three seasons. Like, hey, I'm still searching for that win, but I think I can do it and I want to do it. Mm. And then when the news came out of his positive, it was positive for EPO. Like I just felt so robbed. Of course. Um, just that someone can can turn up to a race, you know, absolutely, and, you know, and perform unnaturally like that is – and we're we're actually in spain we'd just done a race this year in in um prepping for the pto european open in ibiza and i was doing the it long distance and yeah it just just rattled me and you know i did a post on instagram and um had a lot of support around that and you know my my coach last year was cliff english who i'm sure you know and he's like an old school coach and he texted me. He's like, "Mate, we we won that day," and it's just like, yeah, I've, I have a lot of people now who tell me I won that race, but 
you know, I didn't, there was no recognition. Well, you didn't get your moment, yeah. right? It's like when you, you hear these but, athletes yeah. that get done for taking the gold medal at the Olympics and, oh, we're giving a gold medal to the second yeah. place. It's like, no, you lost your moment. Like the, the, the moment of, yeah. of, 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 you know, you know what it's like. You've won enough races. That, That's that exactly right. running yeah. down the carpet, the crowd, nothing hurts. It's the most alive you can feel. Um, crossing the line, holding the tape, the cameras, kind of not knowing what you do with yourself for a moment. <laughs> You're kind of like, shit, I, I, I pulled it off, you know, all that work and I pulled it off. All of those emotions that they stick to you forever. I'm telling you, I'm an old man now and they stick to you. And and when you're robbed of that, as you said, you, you're robbed of, of the emotions. It's not just the physical thing. It's, it's, it's deeper than that. And, um, look, it's, 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 it's sport. Um, and it's one of those things, right? It's like you said, you, you had a great day. They didn't give you, you know, you didn't get the, the win on the day. I think we can all, I think as athletes, we, we often talk offline about certain races we've been beaten in by certain people. Um, over my 20 years, it was always, you know, hmm, that person seems a bit, you know, <laughs> without, without going too deep in it all right now. But it's, it's kind of to actually have it happen, mate. I fell for you, you know, when I was yeah. going through all your yeah. results and looking at your past couple of years and that one really stood out to me. I was like, ah, yeah. But good to be able to talk about it now, um, you know, yeah, probably, definitely. yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny, like, but yeah, talking about being robbed of those moments, like Cody Beals, he was third on that day and he's raced Montremblant multiple, he's won it multiple times and he, he, um, I did a post after the Colin thing and I, I talked about how when I was there in 2014 for the 70.3 World Champs, I remember Javier Gomez won that day, Jan was second and um, I can't remember who was third, it could have been Tim Don or someone. But yeah, I think it was Tim Don it was, yeah. He, he got this, Javier got this, like, it's just the most amazing trophy I've ever seen. <laughs> and it was like wooden, it was handmade, it was, you know, reflective of sort of the local area and, I was like, man, I would just really want, I love one of those trophies one day. And um, there's a picture of Colin holding the trophy um, after the race. And yeah, I posted it and Cody and told that sort of anecdote. And Cody Beals actually offered, he's like, mate, I don't care about trophies. You can have mine. Oh. He's been trying to, he's been trying to palm off a trophy, this massive, like you'd need it. It'd, It'd be a separate check-in piece of luggage, and he's been trying to palm it off to me since since then. So, oh, big shout um, out to Cody! What a cool story. That's yeah, really cool. Yeah, I like Cody, that. Yeah, Cody's a legend. Yeah, mate. I but, think um, I, I think you should I, accept it just so we have that story forever. I think you should accept it, and then it can always be like brothers in arms. I love it. That's so cool. <laughs> Yeah, getting it back to us. Yeah. yeah. No, that's all right. Uh, just get Ash to win another PTO championship and put it as part of the postage, uh, mate. Well, look, it, it, it's it, it's definitely going to be a story that you probably think about and retell a few times. Um, you know, every now and then it's going to be like, ouch. But I honestly think you know, there's plenty more in front of you and that's how you have to be thinking. Like my, my, my big, my big time hasn't come yet. And I, you know, you're at that ripe age of 34 where speed and power and endurance all culminate. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, that's the only feedback I can give you is like, you got to keep looking forward, right? Keep moving forward. <laughs> 
yeah, it's definitely tough because, like, I know I've got more in the tank. And, you know, when I was younger, I was, like, looking at all you guys and, um, you know, like, much like yourself, you try, for me, trying to adapt to your racing in, in you know, the, the 50 on 50 series and the lifetime races was just I couldn't couldn't run to your level. And, you know, there are other guys in that class, like the Bevan Doherty's and so forth, and I'm like, I spent my youth like waiting for you guys to retire so I could like have my time. And now I'm getting, now as an older athlete, I'm getting schooled by the younger guys. So it's, it happens, it's, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely a reversal. And, but I, I know I got more in the tank. So, and um, I think we'll talk a bit more about Ashley, but you know, having, having her in the mix now certainly inspires, inspires mm. me. And, you know, I'm committed to, to the next few years and trying to, trying to get those titles before my body starts shutting down. So, yeah. Mm. Well, let's do that. Let's transition and talk about you and Ash because I think, um, you know, we talked about her earlier and I'm, I'm curious because I think, you know, you're both on top of the world. I mean, whatever you say, your results are so consistent and you're so in the thick of it that it's it really is just a matter of time to have another 2017 Asia Pacific Championship type performance, right? It's like when the body and the mind just show up and everything clicks and you're like, wow, you know, so I have no doubt that that's, that's on the cards for you. But, you know, talking about the two of you, I'm fascinated about how you're able to manage your careers and your personal lives. Um, like when, when, when you, getting specific, when, when you plan out your year together are you kind of conscious of trying to make sure your travel's similar your training and when you're going to peak is similar and your downtime's going to be the same how do you do all that um yeah i mean this is this ash and i have been together for 15 years now is it 15 um, my goodness yeah yeah <laughs> so we actually got together it was probably about 2008 um and doing some notes before the show I actually had written down as one of my like highlights of my career that year in, in Vancouver, the ITU mm. Worlds in Vancouver. And that was kind of, yeah, really when Ash and I started connecting. Um, and she was actually um, still in school at the time. And I was kind of, I was a year out of school and it was just kind of weird point where we were on and off because she was on the Gold Coast in school. I was in Brisbane. You know, started uni, and it, it like I really liked Ash, but was kind of just or, or sort of like in a different headspace. And but I would I definitely like that that year, first year in Vancouver. Um, it was the first real year like I experienced the triathlon community and how how like good it was like seeing you guys race in the elites and the under 23s and you're the athletes. Mm. Um, I was just super pumped on like the community and, and the spirit that we felt. I don't know if you remember us cheering for you that day. It was like 10 degrees, but it was the worst. It was like body paint on. And yes, I do. Just like screaming at the top of our lungs. Like it was amazing. But you I crushed was, like, that too, that. right? You crushed that. You, uh, well, junior champs. Um, Vincent yeah, Lewis won, yeah, Brownlee was in there, Johnny Brownlee. 
Yeah, you were fourth. Yeah, I remember that. You were our our new young Aussie star that we were like, yeah, (laughs) I remember that too. That's awesome because I remember. The star that never materialised. Yeah, I think Johnny Brownlee was meant to win. Remember everybody was talking about Johnny Brownlee because of Alistair and and then um, he got third and then this Vincent Louis that none none of us had ever heard of crushed it and you were right up there in fourth. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. But um, not to not to digress too much, but um, that was definitely like you know that that was yeah the first experience was like wow like this is this is triathlon and I want this to be part of my life and mm-hmm. I think for Ash it was definitely similar as well you know that was her second year of junior worlds she went on and did a, a couple more but yeah that was like both our baptism and it was like this is this is amazing and we we want to do this and since then we've you know our relationship has developed in many ways but triathlon's always been sort of at the core of that and we've always yeah just been going through the highs and lows together of of racing and 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 everything like that but we um we've kind of always had our own separate goals in the sport Mm -hmm. And so planning our seasons has been kind of easy and difficult at the same time. When I was much younger, I would just take off. I'd, I'd just book book my travel, make my plans, <laughs> probably not even like considering her at all. Um, and I would come to, you know, when I first started in, in non-drafting space and decided to to exit sort of the federation and and go out on my own. I was 21, which is mm. super young for that to happen. Like now guys are staying in the federation till their late 20s and, you know, yeah. kind of everything's done for them and they don't have to book flights or make plans. Like they can see the, the race calendar and it's super simple. But I was really young and I had the ambition and I had the fire to to go through all the challenges and work it out myself and, you know, come to the US where I had no idea what to do, where to go. All I knew that there was these races and I worked out Boulder was a pretty good spot to, <laughs> to pace myself. So I'm lucky I had someone like Jimmy Sear who always had a room for me there. That's right, um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I would take off for five months and not see Ash. Um, I, I did try and link in like a couple of times. I went and watched her race in Hamburg and then she was doing – um, her training bases in Vittoria Gastes in Spain and I might stop by for for two or three weeks. But for me, when I was much younger, I was just in full-on career-building mode and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would say when we were in season, it was it was a selfish pursuit and um, she, she had um, probably various responses to that, I think, one sense she was like really proud of me and what I was doing. Um, the other was like she would see people with their support mechanisms around them and she would probably say, well, I'm here by myself like and, and be probably quite sad that I wasn't there with her, but she never really had the, 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 the bone in her body to sort of speak out against that and say, hey, why aren't, like, why aren't you here for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and that would have been really tough for her, but that, you know, that's now part of the, the fabric of, of, uh, of our relationship. She learned to be 
self-reliant in the tough moments and she can go to the biggest races in the world by herself and deal with everything around that, be totally capable um, and be self-reliant in the, the, the most high, high pressure environments in the sport. And mm. um, I would certainly say that, yeah, she, she has those skills because I could, or I did kind of just like leave her to her own devices you did a huge favour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're know, welcome, Ash. I know, at, <laughs> I know looking at some athletes, they talk openly on social media about how they, and, and it's very obvious certain athletes need a lot of people around them Oh yeah, um, yeah. to do what they do. And um, if they don't have that, they let, they let you know. Um, but, yeah, Ash is, she, yeah. She she learned to 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 be self sufficient for a long time, and but now we have the awesome opportunity when we're mostly doing the same sport. It's like funny now because she's made the the change from draft legal racing to non drafting, but of course in that we've got like the Ironman space, we've got PTO space, and seventy point three, <laughs> so we're like much closer to to being on the same program, but mm. still really not. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be prepping for an Ironman and and off somewhere, but she's got you know PTO the next weekend or something like that. And um, so it's you know she's she's drawing on the she has the skills to draw on to to get ready for races by herself. But generally, you know, we're, we we are now planning our seasons together. You know, we've got our European base in Andorra, mm-hmm. um, we've got our American base in Boulder, and then we love getting pre-season fitness here in Brisbane it's like hot and humid and hilly as and we've got amazing tra- training here from home we've got um you know endless trails here in Brisbane so we've got our three bases and um that's awesome I, you mentioned you mentioned planning for for downtime as well and it's we don't even need to say anything to ourselves like downtime is like sacred November December we're never racing like everyone every year every year is always asking when I'm doing busso and it's like I'll probably never do busso because by then I've already put on five kilos and <laughs> we're sunburnt from you know camping on the beach for for a couple of weeks and, yeah you guys are always um, off camping on your adventures aren't you, you is it a land cruiser yeah. what do you drive what do you drive up and down the coast there on the beaches and stuff uh, I've got a, a defender a defender old, old defender now not not the new yuppie one but no. <laughs> Um, <laughs> proper one and are you up are you up yeah. on fraser island or stradbroke where do you go yeah we split between fraser which is now gary and um morton island um which is Mulgumpen. so you got to watch out for the yeah, dingoes right I mean, the dingoes are eating people now yeah what? yeah, yeah just, well just just respect the dingoes and don't feed them and yeah and you won't have a problem but i think yeah there's people have been silly buggers up there for a while now yeah. but and that's created the dingo issue but i mean th- these these locations for anyone who doesn't know it's they're totally they're they're islands like morton island is close to brisbane it's a 90 minute ferry ride on like a really slow boat um across the bay but once you're once you're there you know brisbane's a, it's two million people it's a big city we're hosting the olympics in less than 10 years 32 but once you're across yeah. the bay on morton island there's it's just the most amazing, tranquil slice of paradise. There's, there's no phone reception, so we're totally unplugged. 
Mm. There's no sealed roads. You have to have a four-wheel drive. Um, you, can, you can't camp wherever you want, but you camp where, like, there's just a pole in the ground and it's like, okay, this is a camping site. Like, this is where we're <laughs> pitching up. And there's, you don't have any neighbours. Like, it's total seclusion. And it's, it's, it's a time where you can just fully unplug and, you know, reflect on the year, plan ahead, but just mostly just do nothing, um, mm. fish each day for sustenance. And, um, yeah, that's our, that's our recharge time. I love it. I love yeah. that you're so committed yeah, we, to, to don't, don't talk to us November, December. Um, <laughs> I, I think the best thing that you guys are doing, it's not about having the same races or same goals, but planning this this downtime to recharge together, understanding when build phases will be, understanding when we're going to be pushing, you know, and you're there for each other, but you also know that, okay. I mean, Laura and I were much the same. It was like, yeah, don't talk to us December. We're, we're, we're unplugged. And she'd be off chasing the Olympics and everything else. And I'd be in the US, as you know. And I mean, she sacrificed more in the sense that I think we based in Boulder. And, and if you're going to do well on the, the world triathlon series circuit you really got to be based in europe um so she she did a lot more long haul flying than i did just going to yeah. new york and dallas and and whatever but I, I i i do see a lot of what you and ash are doing and and laura and i have always been big fans of you both of you um and it, it's been a real pleasure to sort of watch you both build your careers um i've loved i want to i want to shift a little bit here because one of the things you know you have a tremendous fan base um you you present incredibly well on Instagram and the social media. Um, I think everybody hangs out for you, for the way you, you write, um, you, your cleverness is just off the chart and the humor. Where does that come from? Are you, you know, is this, I'm fascinated by the humor you bring and the way you articulate yourself on Instagram. No one is doing it as well as you. Where, where does that all come from? You know what I think? I think I don't know where the writing aspects come from. I, I tend to write better than I speak. So mm. like every speech I've ever done has been shithouse. I don't, <laughs> prep or I don't like even this podcast, I was quite nervous about yeah. getting details across because I feel like I can get detail down and across much better in the written word. So mm. but I don't really know where that comes from. Um you know, I went to uni and stuff. I did a lot of essay writing, but mostly I just, yeah, the, the Instagram's like a, an outlet for me to be creative and to be expressive. It's obviously like a marketing tool for, for myself and my sponsors, but mostly I don't, I don't post that much, but when I do, I want to make sure like it's quality and it's something that's enjoyable and something people can get something out of like I love to mm. I love to absorb content and be like moved by it and affected in some way there that's just funny or clever or um, emotional and I just try and impart that in what I'm doing um, and it doesn't always come like I, I'm not every time I'm posting it's not always going to be something well thought out or but, you know, when I'm doing a race report or, or something like that, if I have like a mundane social media task from a sponsor, I want to turn it into something creative. And in our sport, we don't get much of a chance to be creative. You yeah. know, it's so demanding. And like I'm not an I, – I have a great admiration for the arts and music and 
and film and things like this is like a big part of my life. But you know, as a, as a, as a sportsman, you live half your life in this constant state of fatigue and sort of apathy between, you, you know, you have to, you have to lay low for half the day because if you don't do nothing, you're not going to be able to make the workout and you're not going to be able to see any improvements. So if I can be creative and tap into that side of my psyche every now and again on Instagram and people get something out of it, then that's oh, it's brilliant, mate. That's it, kind of my goal there. It's yeah. a, honestly, I'm going to be called out here, but <clears throat> for the most part, I find the athletes just tell me how great they are. It's kind of mundane and monotonous, right? It's like, okay, good on you. But yours, I'm not going to lie. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, the one, the one you just did this week, I mean, it was this week and you, your track workout and the way you put all that together, um, even just, I don't know, I, I had to laugh when you were talking about, oh, I forgot my socks, but oh no, I didn't. I just, it's simple, but I, I, maybe I'm just attracted to your sense of humor because I just find it absolutely brilliant. Um, and so, you know, anybody that hasn't I checked it's out, an Aussie thing. I don't know, no, no, there's no way. The world got go to Josh underscore Amberger, everybody, and, and check it out. Sign up, follow him on Instagram. You won't be disappointed. Not to put more pressure on you, even if you go back and look at everything he's already put up there, it's just really clever. Um, and I get what you're saying about having an outlet for being creative. You know, it, it's just so disciplined. You're so narrowly focused. You're so, you know, it's twenty four seven. You're focused on mental, emotional, physical preparation. And um, it was kind of one of the reasons I started the podcast, just between you and me well, and everybody listening. It was It's a little bit of creative juice I get to have, just having a conversation and, you know, being a little creative and not just being so yeah. straight and narrow. Um, mate, I want to wrap this up um, with a final four questions. Um I've, I, there's so much we've covered. There's so much we've missed. I almost feel like we need to do another episode. But <laughs> I want to finish with, with with the final four um, and then maybe some rapid-fire questions. You up for it? Oh, and maybe some opinions yeah, sure, if we're quick. But I'm not that great at these things, by the way, like just as a foot. As, <laughs> as a note, we'll see how we go. Well, we'll skim right over it, mate, and we can always edit it out. Oh. There you go. All right. What, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Go back to uh, 15 years when you started out here. So, yeah, um, I would tell myself to um, probably, like, not be an idiot, like, generally, like, not be an idiot. I had, I actually got kicked off quite a couple teams from the Australian Federation for behavioural issues. Um, you know, definitely debatable whether whether they were, like, legitimate. Behavioural issues? Not. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> what, what happened? What did you do? You're going to have to give me a little bit on that. What happened? Um, well, I'd have to, I, so we were on tour in Japan, um, and I, and this, this always sinks back to my advice. I would give myself like, listen to people, be respectful, um, stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, like I was quite, I don't know, boneheaded. Um, I would not take authority. Yeah easily you know I would you know I had I had my coach and if if there was another coach telling me what to do I wouldn't you know I, I wouldn't heed to that I would do I would stay on my plan yeah, and yeah. we're at a swim session um in Japan before a race and I didn't do the the session that everyone else was doing because it wasn't what my coach wrote but that was not 
those details were not imparted on me. Like you have to do the mm. workouts from the head coach on the tour. And, you know, at that time I was swimming with John Rogers who, um, JR. Yeah. He's awesome, isn't he? You know, Up in Noosa. You know, he's, yeah. He's, yeah. He's, you know, Jay, coaches Jan Fredino, um, Brandon Curry, but he was my first high performance swim coach, I'd say not my first swim coach, but he really taught me how to swim. He taught me how to be competitive and to really chase something. And at that time I was swimming with JR and we had three Olympians in our squad. So there was no way that some guy was going to tell me what to do in the pool Mm. when um, I had a set from JR to do. So that actually ended up getting me kicked off the tour. Wow. Um, And I, yeah, had to get, I actually had to fight to do the race. They wanted to send me home before the race. Um, Wow. And I ended up winning the race and basically saying, yep, guys, shove it. I'm out of here. And I took the trophy home and went home and then planned my season. And that was, I was, I was 18 and I was on my own paying for everything myself and going to Asia, doing all the ITU, ITU Continental Cups by myself. And, um, you know, that's where I got a lot of these skills to be able to go out on my own Um kind of in the big wide world and build my career was because I had, I had to, I was like forced into these situations Mm. because I was getting kicked off tours. And it happened again two years later in, um, in Europe actually in 2010. And that was kind of like my last year at ITU when, when I was 20 and they just made it hard for me in the Federation to continue. They were just, yeah, you weren't the right fit for the bu- you. You, you. You're not a good yeah, fit for bureaucracy. Yeah, I- <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I would tell myself as an 18 year old to, I don't know, just just back down, just don't be a, a bonehead, and maybe like listen to people and communicate better. Um, I don't know, Josh. I, I, I don't know if I would thoroughly. I, I would push back on you. I think one of the things that makes you so, so entertaining as an athlete to watch you know, which is part of the job of being an athlete, by the way. Yes, win races, but there's also an entertainment element. I think is you, you're, a, you're a man of conviction and you know what you want. And I don't know. I, I almost feel like I almost feel like we need more men like you that stand up for what they believe in. I think we, we've all become a little bit pushovers. So I'm going to tell your 18-year-old self to tell the 34-year-old telling the 18-year-old that, that he's wrong. I, I actually think you did it right. I think you've... You've gone about it the right way. Don't get me wrong. I do believe in being respectful and having manners and all of those things, but I still, I don't know. I'm being like an older brother. (laughs) I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, listening to myself talk, I also think, well, part of these events that happened definitely shaped me into what I am today. So it's like it's not regrettable, but some things, of course, I've I've said to people or the way I've treated people are regrettable. Okay, okay. It's actually funny in in talking to – I was writing with Richie Port last year in Andorra. It was a couple months before he retired and turns out we actually had the same problems with the same administrator um, who kicked me off the team in Japan that year. So oh, I think I know who we, you're probably talking like about a then. a really funny moment between uh, Richie Port and I where we were, we just bonded instantly over kind of like shared experiences from a 
yeah um teenage years to young adolescence so it was very interesting that's awesome <laughs> that is pretty cool and it's 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 even funny that it was the same it's the exact same person so it may not be all yeah. about you two there might be a common common thread going on there all right next question three people you'd want to have dinner with non-family they can be living or dead so I've got like I've got two answers to this if that's permit per, permissible. <laughs> we can like go whatever we want, mate. It's two mates having a chat. <laughs> like the, the realistic and the non-realistic yeah. options, and and considering we were talking about creativity before, I'd I'd put my like non-realistic dinner guests, and because you know ultimately you don't know if you're going to get along with these people or if they're going to be like even talkable or not, like mm. um. So I've got David Lynch, mm-hmm. who is, you know, he's an auteur, he's an artist. Um, his films are definitely sort of part of my psyche and, um, you, show, you know, shows like Twin Peaks and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but also Noel, Noel Fielding and Julian Barrett, who are the duo known as the Mighty Boosh. And if you've ever watched like, 2000s absurdist comedy from Britain. You definitely know who I'm talking about. But these three, they're, they're all creatives, and I just think that it would be um, an absolute hoot to have all these three people at the table, particularly Noel Fielding and and, and Julian Barrett, it, Howard Moon and Vince Noir. They're kind of that's their their characters in this show, The Mighty Boosh. So that's my three unrealistic <laughs> options. I love um, it. That's awesome. I know. And yeah, my, my realistic options would just be my mates. Um, so we've got a little group, a little trio here um, in Brisbane. We're called the Lager Club, um, and that is Dan Wilson, who you'd know from yeah, top um, bloke, yeah, 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 yep. and Dan Recklin, who is we we kind of met this guy by chance, but he's like a coffee. He's like the coffee dude who's kind of like inspired Wilson and I in, in our pursuit of coffee, but he's um, a very interesting guy, not from any sporting background at all, but is highly competitive in like other areas mm-hmm. um, such as coffee. Um, but <laughs> we, that he, it would be us two and then we'd have a third rotating guest every dinner. So like, and that would be from the wider friendship group. So Guys, just reading off names like Borat, Sweeney, um, <laughs> Lavity, um, Declan. Yeah, we, we'd have those two guys and then a rotating third. That would be like. This is going to be a constant minutes. dinner party. I love it, mate. I love, Can I rotate in every now and then just to bring an old timer in? Yeah. All right. Thanks, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I, Dan when Wilson. I haven't seen Dan. And, He's a yeah. top guy, Dan. He he retired from the sport. What about twenty sixteen or something? Twenty fifteen around there, I think. He retired um, twenty eighteen, I think it was. I was eighteen. He won his last race, which was the Asia Pac Champs in wow. in Western Sydney against an incredible field. He went out on a total high. He like teased up. He did his whole career in ITU and then teased us with like. 18 months in 70.3 That's right. racing. That's right. Won, won almost everything and then he's like, I'm done. Just went out gracefully. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. I don't need to keep showing you. <laughs> Next exactly. question, buddy. Where, where do you see yourself in five years? Um, I reckon like 
not too dissimilar from now, probably obviously looking at a career change by that point, late 30s. Um, I don't want to do triathlon forever. I think there will definitely come a time when when I know it's, it's you know, I'll, I'll just know. Yeah. It's kind of like yeah. it won't be like the Sebi Keenler, like I've got 12 months, I'm going to do all these races and then you watch yourself like decline over that 12 months and then you probably regret setting 12 months. Yeah, I should have done like six months or something like that. It's not going to be something like that. It's probably also not going to be like the Rasmus Henning, like I'm just, I'm going to retire after Kona and then you're not really focused on Kona. So you do shit and you probably regret being there. It'll probably just be like, End of the year, like, yeah, I think I'm done now. And yeah. We just fade away. That's it. Um, but I also, you know, we're at this interesting time with Ash's career development. So she's 32 and she's got this amazing career ahead of her in this sort of sport mm. she's only just discovered. Mm. Mm. And but we're also balancing that with, you know, looking at starting a family in the future too. So who knows, five years we could have couple little grubs running around um could be daddy daycare while mum's going out and, and earning a living so yeah who knows right um, it's hard to predict five years i i think of you i've had yeah. I've, I, I've talked to you with good friend of mine and our business partner adam malonis who's been on the show and we, we're both huge fans of yours um yours and ash and and i just i think when you do, do decide to want to transition um and I call it a transition because it is it is kind of a, a big deal at some point. Um, I do actually think because of your creative genius, um, and it is a bit of a genius because the rest of us don't have it, I, I, I think you're going to find you'll find a pretty good niche for yourself in um, in whatever you choose. But um, anyway, la, 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 last, last question here is um, if you, you know, we're told you had six months to live from now, how would you decide to spend those last six months i think it probably wouldn't be too dissimilar to to what i'm doing now like i love i love training and i love it's like part of my and training for triathlon specifically it's like part of my connection to the natural world mm. being able to to go run in the bush you know ride in the the wide open spaces and you know, swimming, yeah, it's okay. Um, I probably <laughs> wouldn't go to the pool anymore. I'd, I'd probably phase that out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably forget about PTO points and <laughs> trying to stay in the rankings so the <laughs> racing aspect would, would probably would probably wane off. Um, but I'd still love to to keep active. That's like that's my that's mm-hmm. my like nourishment for the soul is to mm-hmm. To, to be outside and um, I'd probably, yeah, work in a couple more camping trips and um, probably have more conversations like this with, with the people I love and let them know, you know, how they've impacted me and how they kind of have inspired me in, in various ways. So I think that's great answer. like I'd love to be better at communication and, um it's it's actually the the hard thing about triathlon is it's created so many friendships but you've also like lost a lot of friendships over the way because it is so demanding and it is so hard to 
to stay in touch with people. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd like to probably reconnect and... um, but hey, this this is probably this is quite quite a morbid question, but it is kind of a morbid question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I'd probably ride my bike. I mean, the short answer is I'd ride my bike a lot. I'd probably, I, I'd, I'd, I'd um actually go do some swim sets with Jr. and probably find my limits. Um, that that's one thing that would get me to the pool in the last six months is doing. You're already you're already you're already living. You, the, the beauty of this question is not so much on it being more, but more. To me, it illustrates you're already living the life you want to be living, and that that's kind of cool. Um, I think that's awesome. Um, hey, let's finish yeah. off with some rapid fire questions. You ready? Yeah, mate. I'm not <laughs> good at these, but yeah, let's go. First job. Oh. Uh, triathlon like i've literally never had a real job love it i think ash was the same she made 500 bucks from a running race i think i remember her saying (laughs) it's like oh yeah i might as well do that (laughs) all right favorite death metal band um at the moment it is um oh mate there's so many but i I went to a cattle decapitation show last week a what and yeah um a cattle decapitation decapitation show okay but they're actually, yeah, well, that's the band. Oh. And they're from California. <laughs> and they're actually like, it's they're actually like an, an animal activist band. They're vegetarians and they sing about like, yeah, animal activism. Oh, so oh. it's, yeah, yeah, it's a, I, yeah, it's a, quite a like interesting band name. But anyway, I, I actually dealing with an injury for that, sh- from that show last week, I got elbowed in the face and my nose is broken. So. <laughs> Good thing we if don't have I the feel, video on. <laughs> if I feel, if I sound like a bit snuffly, it's because, yeah, some guy elbowed me in the face and then, well, actually straight in the nose in the mosh pit. So In the mosh yeah, pit. Still recovering from that. You are too <laughs> funny. That is the best. <laughs> All right. One, one war movie everyone should see. You said you were, uh, enjoy the war movies. Which one? Um, I mean, it's hard to go past something like Platoon. Mm-hmm. Um, with you know Oliver Stone, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. the messaging in that film. Yeah, you know, and you probably you definitely put Apocalypse now. Like just the long, boring ones, right? Like the messaging from these films is like so. It's like everlasting, right? Mm. Um, yeah. You know, Have you seen um, Leslie Patterson's All Quiet on the Western Front her remake? Um, I haven't watched that. That's on the to-do list. So she, she did an outstanding yeah. job. I mean, I've seen the the yeah. older versions because I I like you love my war movies ever f- since being a kid. Always with my brother, we was all, uh, Laura hates them, so I I watch them on my own now. <laughs> but um, all oh, quiet on the me, Western yeah. Front was they did a really good job, really good job. I mean, obviously they won a BAFTA, and I I think they should have probably got the Academy Award to be honest. But um, yeah. check that out, especially when we know it's a. Also a creative triathlete. Um, yeah, she really... 100%. I'd, I'd probably add um, Terence Malick's The Thin Red Line in there too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was, I used to re-watch that as a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every, yeah, school holidays, I would literally watch The Thin Red Line probably every second day. That's an awesome film. Kid, yeah. I know you're bringing back memories yeah. now. All right. One book you would uh, gift to a friend. Do you have any favourite books that you would tell us that we all should read? Mate, I would... And I've already tried to do this, 100%, The Silmarillion by J.R. Tolkien. What's it called, sorry? I, the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like it's kind of like the, the 
before Lord of the Rings. Ah. If you saw like the the new um, Amazon Prime show, um, God, I forget what it's even called. Um, the the Amazon show, um, but it's like it's the 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 prelude to the Lord of the Rings. Okay, it's, it's just the most amazing book of. It's to, it's Tolkien's Legendarium, so it's like everything you know about Middle Earth, like the elves and the hobbits and men and the orcs and stuff. But it's the storyline is just amazing i'm actually reading it now for the fourth time um wow i pretty much live i pretty much live this book basically like <laughs> i would give and i gifted it to a mate but he's he's um i don't think he, and i i warned him i said like if you get through the first sort of 10 to 15 pages it's going to be like it could could change you but getting through those first 10 or 15 pages is going to be a real challenge. So, like, I don't know how you're going to go. So that's that's my that's my um, definitely my answer to the Silmarillion. I love just, that. Just, like, give it a go. Yeah. Just try. They have it on Audible? And then, I'm, I'm a, more of a listener than I am a reader. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And I, yeah, so I've read it four times. I've probably listened to the audio book more. And the guy who's recounting the story on Audible is actually like his voice is amazing. Don't you love that when you get a good narrator? I love when you get a good narrator. Um, I I just finished uh, Green Lights, Matthew McConaughey's book. I I didn't know, a guy in the sauna said I should read it, so I went and got it. But what really (laughs) makes it is he's actually, it's so good to have Matthew McConaughey with his acting ability narrate. It was was truly entertaining. It was actually a good book. yeah. Anyway, all right. Uh, I'm gonna chat. Hey, was the guy wearing pants? Hey, <laughs> what was that? The sauna was the guy wearing pants. <laughs> like, you can always like know where the conversation's going if someone's like naked or not. Like, it's just interesting for an Aussie because when you're in the European sauna, yeah, they're all naked. That's true. Like, well, everyone's naked. Yeah, right? yeah. When, like, yeah, kind of grow up in Australia doing like towel changes. Yeah, and even in the in the change rooms. Well, I'm in conservative US. I'm in conservative US, mate. So you know, people coming here with their full gym workout gear on, um, they're certainly not <laughs> yeah. in there naked. Um, all right, two most used apps on your phone. Oh, um, yeah, Instagram for sure. Yeah. Um, and then me, me, like music is music app. Like I don't yeah. listen to Spotify, but um, music, yeah. like Apple, like iPods, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like I've still got all my music in physical format. Well, like you know, they're all in files. Of course, I've got a massive record collection, actual physical music collection. But mm. um, yeah, just Apple Music. But I don't subscribe or any of that shit. I've just got all the the files still neatly in my iTunes. Yeah. Um, that I've curated for 20 years or something. I love it. So, yeah. I love it. There you go. So what is the greatest movie? What is the greatest decade of music? Do you have a favourite decade or is it all? I reckon, um, I mean, for the styles that I listen to, like say a genre like death metal, it really came to the fore in like the 90s, the early 90s. So it's like certain areas like Bay Area in in Florida, New York, um, Finland, Sweden, they're kind of like the melting pot for 90s death metal and Mm. I don't love it all, like some of it's trash but some of them like it's just a a kind of like a golden age in death metal Um, Mm. and it was this really exciting time where 
these sounds are like getting explored and all these ideas around like extreme music are being fleshed out and it just would have been a really good time to be in the scene there going to gigs and seeing bands come out of nowhere like kind of not not unlike triathlon these yeah. days like yeah. just bands coming out of nowhere with these records that are still celebrated like you know 20 or 30 years on that's, that's so, so cool probably yeah 90s death metal is like really really special we're going to have to sit down one day, you and I, and just chat about this death metal and you're going to have to introduce me properly to all of it because <clears throat> um, I, I haven't had my eyes open to it. But uh, maybe a couple of beers when, when we connect next. Actually, I think I'd like to do a, a, an episode with you in person. To. Yeah. <laughs> Final question. Who does most of the house chores at home, you or Ash? Oh, I mean, depends what you what you classify as chores, but 100% me. <laughs> I put away. I mean, she, yeah, Ash does the cooking and she'll do the dishes 80% of the time, but I do, I put away her clothes, mate. Like I put away her bras and panties and run kit and cycling kit because if I don't, it just sits there. Um, and so when you when you consider the fleet of bikes that I have to maintain as well and, yeah. Um, yeah. The, you know, we've got, we live on, I wouldn't say land, but we've got a big block here um, where I do a lot of gardening. Like that's part of my passion is gardening and, um, you know, you know, what, you know, just being in the garden and yeah, pottering to stuff. Mm. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay Ash's role around the house. Like it's very important. And she, of course, plays it. And, 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 indispensable role in yeah. the housework. I don't know. Let's just say, let's yeah. just say let's to just... keep on side. It's even. <laughs> it's, it's even, even. Stevens. Well, mate, this has been awesome. This, this has been really cool just to connect. I um, It's probably been one of my longer shows, to be honest, but it, it's just so great to listen to your stories. Um, quickly before you go, what do you got coming up? You just got, you've got one more Ironman. Uh, you've got some sponsorship commitments and you've got Langawi. Is it Langawi, sorry, in uh, next week? Yeah, so we've got. Yeah. 70.3 lane car we in Malaysia. I've never been there, but, you know, it's been a bit of a fixture on the circuit for a while, so it would yeah. be great to get there. Yeah. Um, Ironman Cascais in Portugal two weeks after that. So yep. it just it's in Europe, so it's kind of out of the way for me right now. Like it's not desirable, but I really want to see what I can do in another Ironman performance this year and obviously without sort of Kona there was nothing in that October there was mm-hmm. nothing else in that sort of October time frame so I'm hitting up that in that's three weeks now and then yeah I've got an on-running summit in St Moritz oh cool a week after that so it's kind of like yeah perfect little segue after my European race and yeah. then back home I'll pretty much slide straight into the Noosa try Ooh. and Ooh. that'll be the last race of the year and that's like my you know, I've been trying to get back on the podium there since 2009. So, <laughs> I know. Ash has won it that many times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's going She's going for title number 10 this year. So, <laughs> I know. I, you know, it's the one race. I, I, well, not the one. It's one race that I didn't win that I kind of I look back and go, I've been second and third a bunch of times. I never won it. It's like, wow. I just think it's it makes a long year to turn up November 4th or whatever it is and I don't know. I'm always exhausted by them. But anyway, mate, this has been 
really cool. Um, thanks for coming on, mate, and, and sharing all your stories. You you really are a delight to have on the show. So um, thanks, mate. Yeah, thanks a lot, Greg. That was great. I haven't spoken about a lot of that. So yeah, it was yeah, very cool. To share it. All right, buddy. Cheers. Stay on the line. 